glass, ice, pour. Hello, friends, and welcome to this special episode of Whiskey and Rye, where I interview author and YouTube personality, science Mike McCarg. Um, this interview was recorded a few months ago, and I have been sitting on it for a while because I had this crazy idea to start a second podcast. Um, I was planning on launching another podcast to complement my organization, Proximia, that I started this year, and I was going to have a podcast as part of our marketing plan and you know uh, I ended up writing a book instead so I'm actually uh, almost finished with the book right now so the book sort of took place of the podcast so I have this great interview with Science Mike and so we talk a little bit about Proximia but mostly we talk about Mike's book uh, You Are a Miracle and a Pain in the Ass which I'm really excited about so you won't hear us uh, really mention whiskey and rye at all and you're going to hear me talk a lot about Proximia so if that strikes your fancy and you want to learn a little bit more about Proximia you can send me an email to Ron at proximia.org so you can sign up for our mailing list and uh, learn a little bit about the network that we're creating but that's not what this episode's about this episode is about our uh, our good friend uh, Mike McCarg and uh, we're really happy that he shared his time uh, a few months ago now so uh, again some of the references we make are going to be outdated uh, but again it was really a pleasure to, to get to meet with him and uh, and hear about his book and, uh, and the writing process and learn about the brain how fun is that so thanks so much for tuning into this special episode. I hope you enjoy. Cool. Well, uh, very excited to have Mike McCarg on the show today, aka Science Mike. Um, I'm going to call you Mike if that's okay with you. I feel like you've been, oh, be great. I feel yeah. like you've been a lot more Mike mode lately and less Science Mike. Which, That's true. You know, yeah. uh, which I appreciate your Science Mike podcast. I love that. But I love the stuff that you're doing now, uh, your COVID videos that you've been putting out. You've been doing a lot more stuff on YouTube, uh, which is great. And the new book that we're going to get into, which I'm really excited to talk about. Um, I loved Finding God in the Waves. I saw you as you did your speaking tour with that. It's actually the first time I met mm-hmm. you. And, um, I remember you sort of dropping hints about a second book um, and you were talking about how it was different and how it might be kind of different. And so um, I love that this one is about brain things. And so I would love to, uh, because we're a people oriented group and we're about people, I would love to just talk about our brains so we can be- get a better idea of what our brains are like and you know, feel free to tie that in with what you have from the book. But first thing I would love to talk about is um, you know, if you imagine a picture of a healthy brain, what would a healthy brain look like? Oh gosh. Um well I guess physically, uh what, three and a half pounds, about the consistency of tofu. Uh-huh. Uh two hemispheres, um, you know, healthy blood vessels, uh lots of glial cells. Um, you know, a healthy brain is uh I think it's really important to note. Yeah. A part of our bodies, like a healthy heart mm-hmm. or healthy lungs. Uh, and like any part of our body, uh, the tissues in our brain are affected by our mental health. Now, I might say mm. the impact of mental health on the brain is more dramatic than on other parts of the body. 
Oh, okay. Uh, your mental health affects your heart and your lungs and your kidney function and your blood pressure and mm-hmm. the amount of inflammation in your body. But uh, what's going on um, with your mental health really impacts your brain as the brain kind of acts as the the bridge between our minds and our bodies mm. and our emotions and our bodies. Yeah. And um, And so I'd say that a healthy brain... Uh, we can't just look at tissues and structures. We have to look at other things. We have to look at um, mental health outcomes. We have to look at um, kind of self-reported um, states. You know, how anxious are you feeling? Are you depressed? How much uh, brain fog do you have? How much cognitive resources and clarity do you have? How much emotional resources? Do you have? Do you feel fatigued? We have to look at all these other um, seemingly more nebulous metrics to figure out if a brain is healthy than if a heart is healthy or if a liver is healthy. Yeah, you you have to sort of play uh, trial and error. You have to look at things from a, a very high level as opposed to kind of just like digging into the heart saying, let's look at this ventricle because so many things in the brain are connected. Uh, and I'm really interested in this idea of neural pathways and how our brain actually creates ways for us to um you know, communicate. And so one of the things that I love about, uh, I was listening to an interview that you did with Pete Holmes and you were talking uh-huh. about the brain, um, as, uh, as an alligator, or maybe you said crocodile. I'm not remembering. You're from Tallahassee. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you go with whether it's alligator or crocodile. You're the expert <laughs> on that. I did crocodile just to make crocodile. it more All right, cool. So crocodile on top of, a, uh, and then there's a puppy on that. And then there's a human on that. Um, and I've been reading this book lately. I have a two-year-old son. So brain stuff for me is applicable on the daily. You know, I'm always uh, thinking because this stuff is so real to me in, in real time. And so uh, I'm, I'm interested now in learning about the communication between the different levels of the brain. So, you know, you talk about uh, there's these things that are kind of related on one on, on top of each, each other. One thing that I'm interested in is this idea of triggers. So we're talking about a healthy brain. We know what a healthy brain kind of looks like. But then there's unhealthy things that are a brain that a brain can have too, and I think one of those things are unhealthy neural pathways created by triggers in certain things. So when those things happen, what's kind of happening in the communication between our upstairs and our downstairs brain, and why do you why are we not able to maybe sometimes feel like we're able to think clearly when we're triggered by a negative or negative thing that's happened to us? Sure. I mean, one thing I would say is when we talk about the brain, when we talk about mental health. Um, we actually tend to use the word healthy or unhealthy a lot less often mm. uh, because it's loaded mm-hmm. and because it isn't clear in assessing mental health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have a, a healthy brain in that you don't have any clots in your blood vessels and you don't have any tumors, be they malignant or benign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no um, chemical imbalances in your brain. Your blood chemistry is fine. So your brain is healthy from a medical standpoint, um, and yet you can have behavioral outcomes that are causing impairment in your quality of life. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll often use terms more like adaptive and maladaptive when talking about mental health, mm. because you can have a, a given disorder or diagnosis, um, but you can present it in an adaptive way. You mm-hmm. can have, for example, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. but uh, be dealing with 
that PTSD in an adaptive way. Adaptive simply means supporting your life goals, allowing you to function and allowing you to exist in community. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, and then when we talk about uh, the person, the puppy, and the crocodile, <laughs> yeah. uh, what we're talking about is the triune brain model. That's mm. a, an understanding in neuroscience, a way of understanding the fact that the brain is structurally complex. And the triune brain model is just about one of the simplest ways of understanding the brain's incredible complexity. Mm. But I love it because it's so illuminating. It lets yeah. us know that we have ancient parts of our brain that are more oriented towards our basic survival and towards territorial notions which we call the crocodile, it's also right. called the brain stem. Uh, which would be like the, the lowest, hind brain, the lowest, lowest part of the brain. innermost yep. part of the brain. Yeah. Yep. And then around that, we've got the limbic brain, also called the paleomammalian brain or the old mammal brain. And yep. that's the part of our brains I call the puppy. That's where our emotions originate primarily. Mm -hmm. That's where our social drives originate primarily. Mm -hmm. And around that, we've got the neocortex, which I call the person, which is where our executive function is, our ability to connect with language and culture, our really advanced sensory processing happens with the neocortex. That part of the brain is remarkably intricate when compared to the brains of other animals. Yeah, uh, It's sort of what like separates the human brain from so many other brains, including our close cousins, primates, which have sophisticated brains of their own right. Hmm. And when we talk about a trauma, what we are talking about is actually quite simple. Mm -hmm. uh, if you would imagine uh, one of our ancestors, a fish, you and I, if you go back mm -hmm. far enough, we go to a single ancestor, and that single ancestor would go back far enough to a one of the earliest vertebrates, which was a fish. You can imagine that fish is swimming through the water, and a shadow passes overhead, and the fish thinks nothing of it, because fish, at least at that stage, Thinking or cognating wasn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. But then moments later, teeth dig into that fish's body as a predator tries to eat it. And it wiggles really hard and it gets away and it swims away bleeding, but it survived. Yeah. And what happened in that moment is the fish's brain uh, had been analyzing its sensory environment. And that shadow that passed overhead was noted in the fish's working memory. And then moments later, there was a, a bite, a threat to survival. And so that fish brain, the brain is in that body for a purpose. Yeah. Bodies evolved brains to solve problems, and that problem was survival. Mm. And so that fish brain realizes when a shadow passes overhead, I could be in danger. And so the next time that fish, weeks later, it had healed, it's back to, back to its full strength, a shadow passes overhead. And this time, instead of waiting... That fish immediately swims as fast yeah. as it can. And it turns out, in this case, that shadow was just a wave. It wasn't a predatory fish. But the fish's brain pays no penalty for a false positive for what? An environmental trigger. Yeah. And so when we talk about triggers and trigger warnings and triggers in media, mm -hmm. what we are talking about is stimulus in our environment that makes our brains believe we're in danger. And no two people have the same triggers. What is triggering to one person may not be triggering to another because everyone's brains, everyone's reptile brain, have encountered different trauma in different circumstances and have looked for different environmental cues or trigger that they could be in danger. Yeah. And the reason we continue to be triggered is, again, if we have a panic attack but we survive, 
our brain views that as a success. Whereas if we don't have a panic attack and we're actually, our life ends because we didn't respond to a stimulus, well, then that's a big problem for our brain. And that's why our brains tend to be so oriented mm-hmm. towards triggering responses because the penalty for a false positive and a penalty for a false negative are very different. Yeah. And this is why we are miracles, right? This is why our bodies and our brains are miraculous because we're able to live amongst all of these things happening. And so I, um, I love that you shared all of those things. I think... You know, I want to, uh, there's a lot of different things that I want to ask you. I would love, you know, because we're talking about being in community here. We deal with people who, uh, we help people with triggers and things like that. So, you know, maybe a separate conversation would be helping people with things like that. But I think what I want to dig into now um, is just how you start off this new book uh, with the trauma response or with the trauma that you encountered uh, at a very young age. Um, and man, I tell you, that story that you kicked this book off with, it really makes it hard to to put the book down um, after that because um, I'm just right there with you in that moment. Mm. I'm right there with you. Um, I'm almost feeling all of those emotions with you, and it's very real. And so I love that you invited us into that moment. Um, in in kind of approaching, you're a musician. You know, I know you do you do music too, and so you're a creative individual. I'm a creative individual. In kind of thinking, about, I mean, I'm a bass player. I don't know if that counts as a musician. Listen, there without without <laughs> bass, I mean, how many how many songs would just fall flat without the bass? But um, but kind of in thinking about that and thinking about creativity and approaching the second book that was a, different than your first one. First one was kind of about your story and this this one is a little bit different. How did you feel kind of kicking this book off with something that was so raw and, and exposing to you, but such a big part of your story? Uh, well, you know, the book opens with a first hand portrayal a first-hand account of an attempt to die by suicide yeah which we don't have a lot of um and it was important to me to show the stakes Mm. you know there's so many books in the world and they're good books they're Mm. fine books that are our self-help books and they're about dealing with difficulties with our feelings or our motivation or the actions we take in the world and they have, they have a very prescriptive approach. Mm-hmm. They say, here's the problem I figured out definitively. Here's the steps you take to address that problem. And then for one of those books, like a tenth of a percent or 5% of the people, their lives meaningfully change as a result of that book. And it's because the author's premise worked at their life intersection. Mm-hmm. And I realized most self-help books are in that vein. Even those written by psychologists, even if the author knows this set of treatment options, this set of of practices will help people in this circumstance, a publisher wants to sell a book to as many people as possible. Right. And so you'll see the marketing copy really get expanded out. Then people get books. This book, like just one person, like this book changed my life. And the next person reads it like, "Uh, okay, I read the book. I feel kind of guilty that I don't have the motivation to put their three steps into process, right? Right. So what I want to do is set the stakes. What are the stakes of this problem and that we often feel at conflict with ourselves? Yeah. And so I, I talked about the extreme stakes in my life. That's a struggle, an, yeah. a, a, an ongoing struggle for years Yeah. to survive because where my book goes next is not into three 
steps to a new you or 30 days of this and then you're changed. Right. My book is meant to be an invitation into the complex, nuanced, and difficult process of personal growth and recovery. Yeah. And it's not prescriptive at all. My book is a, a meant to be an overview of next step you could take yeah. and a vision of what can happen over time. And uh, t- that's a big ask from a reader. Yeah. Yeah, it and is. So I wanted to give something immediately that established me not as an expert because I'm not an expert, mm-hmm. but as a source of solidarity and understanding someone who's just been through a lot of these things too and is learning alongside the reader. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to talk about a subject and you want to get people to feel like they can believe you and trust you and walk with you, how do you show them that? Um, We're all about showing your real selves and your most exposed selves. um, Because I think that's kind of the the miracle of humanity is that we are all unique and we are all individualistic. Um, And I think one of the things that I am uh, thankful for with with the work that you do um, is, is, is helping people understand that fitting in a box is not necessarily the end goal in life to be labeled as something. Um, it's almost like when I read your books or when I listen to your podcast, I feel an invitation into inviting me to be my truest self and my fullest self. Um, and where I live a lot is in that puppy phase. I live a lot in that feelings. I live a lot in that connection. Um, and so that's where I spend a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of my time. Um, but I feel like in doing that, I miss out on some of the other things that my brain has to offer, you know, like that really true, um, um, that rational piece, and then that also that that the ability to make sound decisions. You know, I feel like sometimes I get lost because my puppy just wants to take over. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think one of the things about being in community that is helpful is, uh, and as I walk with people and do things creatively, is we are able to. Um, connect with each other in different parts of our brains. And one of the things I've been learning about lately is this idea of mindsight and how we're able to, um, because I I think a lot about empathy and compassion because we're lacking that in, in general in the world right now. And so I think about that connection piece and how we're able to connect with people. And so I've been reading a little bit about the, um, the right, uh, temporal frontal junction, the TFJ and how that, uh, there's a lot of, uh, connectivity and how that part of the brain when it's healthy, um, is really a, a receptor for connecting with people and really just live some beautiful things. So, so kind of setting the table with that kind of thinking about that middle part, that puppy part of the brain, when we're connecting with other people and when we're expressing ourselves creatively, um, is, is that kind of like rolling the puppy over and scratching their belly and, and giving them like the best thing or what, you know, is that, is that kind of like how we fuel that part of our brain? Like what's going on? Um, well, there's a saying in neuroscience that, um, neurons that fire together wire together yes when we talk about neural pathways when we talk about nurturing a part of the brain what we're talking about is how connected are neurons to each other Mm. and neurons that connect each other a lot it becomes easy for energy to move from one part of the brain to the other i don't mean energy in some uh like new age sense the word energy gets horribly abused in our culture 
Uh, I mean primarily electrical energy, but I also mean chemical energy. I mean, I'm being specific here. It's physics, yeah. biology. Yeah. Um, and uh, how frequently a different pathway gets used, well, these things are connected to our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. Mm-hmm. So um, a pathway that exists in my brain is if I get anxious, that's a stimulus that causes arousal in my brain, literally. Um, when we the onset of any feeling is a state of neurological arousal. Um, when I get that uh, anxious arousal, that that action, uh, my brain then goes to some kind of bypassing action. Mm. How do I get out of this arousal? And uh, for me, that's like. Uh, I go eat a potato chip or a cookie or something. I'm mm. a compulsive eater. And so that is all stemming from a set of neural pathways. They're well-defined. They're very hard to intercept. Any of our neural pathways that keep us alive, mm-hmm. uh, our brain favors it. Mm-hmm. So I might understand that, like, oh, gosh, if I eat 19 Oreo cookies a day, that like increases my risk for heart attack and stroke. And my brain is like, whatever. <laughs> That's way in the future, right? Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I'm set for now. Yeah, and it's yeah. maybe, maybe it's not. It's like there's a lot of people who eat 19 <laughs> Oreo cookies a day and they make it to 103 or whatever, right? Yeah. So our yeah. brains don't don't think in terms of statistics and health policy. So we talk about these critical junctions in the brain, like the temporal parietal junction or the temporoparietal junction. Um, what you're talking about is kind of like uh, the major freeways of the brain, places mm. where different brain structures converge. Got it. And a lot of function is coordinated. So, um, you know, the anterior cingulate cortex is another big one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the probably the, 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 the main one, the, the biggest one is the corpus callosum, which is all signaling and no processing. And um, I imagine that kind of being like the scene in Back to the Future 2 where they come back in and it's just like just flying cars just whizzing back each other, just and it's chaos. That's what I imagine that looking like. Right. Yeah. There's a lot going on the Corpus Callosum. Yeah. Most of the time, sometimes it's actually pretty quiet. Yeah. Um, but um, especially in moments of trauma, actually. Because mm. uh, the two brains, the two sides of the brain kind of go their own corner in those moments. But uh-huh. um you know, uh, when we talk about those those reasons of the brain being healthy or not, um, what we're talking about is are we are we cultivating adaptive responses to things? Are we um, finding a way to redirect uh, pathways that lead to destructive behaviors or pathways that lead to emotional states that uh, impair our ability to function towards our life goals over time. Mm. Um, And we can look, you know, at different outcomes associated with different parts of the brain. Um, But I think in mental health, sometimes it's actually more useful to think holistically. There's a a larger set of processes. We know that if we learn to process and regulate feelings instead of repressing feelings or escaping them, that leads to better mental health outcomes, better physical health outcomes, and ultimately better brain health. Yeah. We know that um, getting a, enough rest every day uh, supports the better brain health. We know that 
Uh, good nutrition supports better brain health. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, some heart problems last year, and I had to like have a major realignment of my diet. And one of the things I've done is I've eaten a lot more leafy green vegetables. And I don't like leafy green vegetables, so I grind them up in a blender and drink them. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, but yeah. uh, you know, I went in uh, to see my neurologist and to see uh, an eye doctor, and both of those things involve some imaging. And both commented on structural differences that they could see several months into me eating a more nutritious diet. So all the actions we take in our life kind of uh, columnate and move towards uh, us having healthier brains and, and, and more vibrant brain tissue. Well, the brain is, is, there's plasticity in the brain, right? I don't want to say the brain is plastic because that's, that puts a weird image in people's minds, but the brain is, it can change. Um, and so it's interesting that you bring up just changing your diet, um, and in eating, making better decisions with your health has changed how certain things in your, your brain. And I was, I was actually going to bring that up because I, I oftentimes don't hear people talking about an approach to mental health through nutrition or through a diet. Most of the time it is um, take a pill or see someone or talk more about things. But um, I've actually been talking with some uh, – so one of the things I do on the side is I, I have a dad's breakfast, and I'm kind of about you know helping dads stay healthy and be the best dads they can be. And I was talking with one of my dads who's also a nutrition guy, and he was saying, like, men in general don't drink enough water. Like, imagine if we just drank the recommended amount of water that we were supposed to have every day, how much better we would function overall in general. So I know that you're someone, you're a student who's always learning, and I've, I've heard you talk about how um, you're learning now about how our gut bacteria is uh, is really affecting a lot of our mental processes. And I'm someone who, um, I, uh, like you, went through, a, a, not probably not as serious of a health thing, but I had to, I was going to the doctor maybe once a week for about a year, um, just trying to figure out what's going on with uh, some severe pain in my gut. They thought I had Crohn's disease. They thought it might be IBS. They were doing all sorts of things, wanting to do medical procedures and whatnot. And um, I remember on my last doctor's visit, we did a panel testing for allergies and we realized I was allergic to a lot of food. And my stomach, what was happening is it was, it was my, my, my stomach was flaring up and my intestines were flaring up and certain things my, my, stomach were flaring up and um it's because my the bacteria in my gut are reacting to the food but then that sends messages to my brain that says certain things so now i've got two conflicting things happening and i was just experiencing what you were calling like brain fog and stuff and and things like that. So I wonder the amount of people out there that are um, trying to achieve some type of clarity in themselves uh, and are are sort of overlooking some of the easy things they can do like diet and uh, and some just healthy mental calisthenics. Well, I mean, so this is why I opened the book as I did and why the book is so... um non-prescriptive yeah when we talk about diet and eating that is incredibly complex yeah so my life i approach my diet um as a set of behaviors yeah and if i you know if i was eating too many bad things then i just need to eat good things but then there was some reason like it was so hard to eat good healthy food over time now, don't get me wrong. I could like set my mind to it and I could change my ways for weeks or months at a time and lose a lot of weight. 
and um, get active and then something stressful would happen at work or in life and or I would just not have very much time to eat lunch and I'd go to a drive-thru and I'd just you know get a cheeseburger and it's okay it's just one cheeseburger and the next thing I know I'm up 60 pounds again and eating Mm. cheeseburgers every day and an in my case, it's because I'm a compulsive eater. I use eating to regulate my feelings, which means there's literally no amount of diet and exercise emphasis that can sustainably change my patterns of eating. Yeah. It means for me to treat my diet, I actually have to treat my trauma mm-hmm. and my emotional coping strategy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so what what um, sometimes, some people aren't compulsive eaters. They really just need some better nutritional guidelines and some structures to have access to food that better supports their health goals and that's a change they can make. Yeah. But I would argue that probably for most people, our relationship to food actually speaks more to our relationship to our feelings Mm. than our relationship to nutrition. Yeah. And we see that in almost every set of behaviors that we have difficulty controlling. Uh, Even chronic health issues, things like back pain and stomach discomfort, we're seeing in the data that it's possible that for most of chronic health conditions in the United States, they are actually issues with people's emotional regulation strategies and being taught maladaptive strategies and conditioned into maladaptive strategies their entire life. And some people have Crohn's disease. Right. Or chronic fatigue syndrome or actual medical problems where no amount of emotional coaching or therapy will fix those problems. So the challenge we face as a society is we have people who understand the mental health challenges and we have people who understand how to treat the body. And those groups traditionally have not talked very much. Yeah. And we're not good at triaging between those systems. If you go see your doctor with a mental health problem, most doctors are going to treat your body. And if you go see a mental health professional with a problem, a real problem with allergies or intestines, but if you describe an ulcer as anxiety, your therapist will treat the anxiety. They will not treat an ulcer. Mm-hmm. And so part of, uh, yeah, I've got a friend, Hillary McBride. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Hillary McBride Dr. Hillary McBride, yes. And one of the reasons I adore Hillary is she's a therapist who has a tremendous amount of understanding of the larger body of medical research relating to bodies as well. She takes a holistic and integrative uh, look at health. I've got a friend who's a physician. His name is Chris Hawley, and he and his uh, friends and their medical practice for years, years, way before... Uh, I started talking about this stuff, have been talking to their patients in their medical practice. They are primary care physicians. They talk to their patients about what? Mental health. Mm. Um, And that's what it's going to take for a lot of us to see the kind of improvements we like. So right now, the system, unless you know a Hillary McBride or Dr. Chris Mm. Hawley, uh, you don't have the the resources in the system to get the support you need. So for the rest of us, we have to be aware that our bodies and our brains and our minds and our emotions are all one integrated system. They all come together to make us as a person 
and you cannot treat one without impacting the other. And if you try, you are doomed to come up with strategies that fail. Yeah. Because you aren't looking at the entire picture. And and my most recent book, Your Miracle and a Pain in the Ass, it is about that fundamental problem mm-hmm. of trying to change over and over and over and failing because we've set the wrong expectations and we've tried to take a jigsaw piece and make it represent the entire puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, that was so that was so beautiful. I uh I love I love how you kind of describe that piece and, and and the thing that I love about your work is it transcends genres, I think. You know, um your your first book, I remember you talking about how it was in the religion and spirituality and you know, you're like, yeah, that maybe I you know, and, and this one is I, I don't even know where Amazon would classify this one. I, I didn't see it. I don't remember where I bought it out of. Um, I think it's in personal growth and that's personal growth and mental health. Personal growth and mental health. Well, I also think that you could have put this in the parenting section too, because I also think this is a parenting book. Truthfully, uh, this is a book that I wish someone would have placed in my hands at 16, 17, 18 years old when my juvenile adolescent brain was exploding and there were fireworks and I I had low self-esteem issues and I was a compulsive dater. So I brought my, I brought my issues into relationships, Mm -hmm. caused a lot of problems, a lot of deep hurts with people. So I've had to do a lot of therapy to, to work through that. Um, but if if I would have had this book placed lovingly in my hands, um, at a young age, I imagine I would have understood myself a little bit better. So I don't know if you, I I know you have daughters. I, I don't, I, I know they're young, probably young. Maybe this is, uh, top of their reading list, but um, I think their friends eventually and, and people, uh, young people, I think there's a whole audience that needs to have this book in their hand so they can help understand who they are and uh, and how much of a miracle and a pain in the ass they really are. Because that's an important part too, right? The pain in the ass part, uh, which, you know, like I said, I haven't made it to the end of the book, but um, if I know anything about you, you're going to gingerly tell us why we're such a pain in the ass, <laughs> you know? Yeah, try to put it chapter by chapter. The yeah. pain in the ass part, um, frankly, is the part everyone remembers about themselves. The mm. year of miracle is what every book tries to remind you of, mm. um, but doesn't actually speak to the fact that you really are. You get in your own way a lot. Yeah. And in a lot of your relationships, you cause problems. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I assume I that's true yeah. of every person who's do. listening right now. Yeah. So um, the miracle, of course, speaks to the fact that here we are, self-aware fragments of the cosmos. We are part. It took 13.77 billion years for the universe to get to you. Yeah. Um, So much had to happen for us to have this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is truly astounding if you think about it. Not only did... um, the universe have to emerge from a, a volume of space that is roughly the size of a sugar cube. In that process, it had to create matter and energy, and uh, that matter had to form into clouds of gas and then into stars. Those first stars had to explode so that their guts could make planets around completely new stars, and then organic molecules could be created. Those things could come along. Those, those uh, molecules made it to a planet called Earth, formed into life, that life changed over time to create our species. Then our species had to discover electricity and optics and semiconductors and advanced construction techniques and manufacturing. Think about how 
many people's hands had to touch things mm -hmm. for us to have this conversation today. I'm looking through a glass lens to a CCD. There's a, a membrane attached to a magnet in this microphone that's vibrating. I mean, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And in that entire process, all those people, ourselves included, had to survive in a world that is difficult to survive in. Now, we've done a pretty good job as modern humans. Our mortality rate is uh, relatively low. Our, our life expectancy has grown a lot since our appearance on the planet. We've made lives easier for ourselves, and yet life is still very challenging. And so we build a set of survival strategies. Our brains are great at that. Mm -hmm. Your brain is great at that. Uh, and everyone listening, their brain is great at that. And I know that because they're here and they're listening, they, they survive. Yeah. And sometimes those survival strategies, we outgrow them. You know, my compulsive eating, I have no shame over it, but I've outgrown it. If I'm going to continue to thrive and survive as a person, me and eating have to have a different relationship. And so the eating ends up becoming a pain in my ass, even though that same behavior helped me survive to being an adult. Wow. Now it's getting in my way. And we can think about that in things we do in our own lives and ways we relate to other people. Those moments that we outgrow our survival strategies are those moments that we're a pain in the ass. But if we just think of ourselves or difficult, that doesn't set up the mentality we need to grow and to change, which means we have to remember that even the things that bother us about us are there because they help us survive. And so I'm grateful for my compulsive eating. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for the times that I've struggled with suicidality and depression because those things not only help me survive, but become who I am today. Yeah, you wouldn't be this version of you if you didn't go through those things. I was reflecting on that just the other day. Um, even as I was preparing for this interview with you, I was like, man, to think two years ago when I started podcasting, I would be sitting down with one of my favorite authors, talking with him about his new book on this new show that I'm starting. Um, and even just before we were re hit record, I, we, before you joined on, I was like, this is so cool. This is such an exciting opportunity. I feel so thankful to be here. But what I'm doing is I'm actually rewiring my brain because before I used to sit, sit down and record, I would be a puddle of nerves. I would be sweating. I would be losing my breath. I'd be rewriting my notes. But I was telling myself in those moments, you're not good enough. You're going to forget what you're going to say. Your guest isn't going to like you. No one's going to listen to this. So before this interview, I said, this is awesome. You're really good at this. You deserve to be here. This mm -hmm. is going to be a lot of fun and mm -hmm. enjoy yourself, you know? And in doing that, you know, I try to rewire my brain and, and try to reshape uh, those, those uh, negative thoughts and this thinking, no, you actually, the struggle is what brought you here. Those interviews that you may have thought didn't go so well, they brought you here. They prepared you for this. Um, so just embrace that. Embrace it and, and just love who you are. Mm -hmm. And I've, one thing I've learned from you a lot, and you know, we're going to wrap up here in a little bit. I've learned from you a lot um, how to express my emotions. You know, you're someone who later in life... Um, You've just been so open with your emotions on social media, uh, especially with the passing of Rachel Held Evans, uh, mm. which took everyone by surprise. But, you know, I really feel like as I'm not that much younger than you, I'm in my 30s, um, I feel like 
it's important to have um, men out there expressing their emotions, doing things outside the norm, talking about how they're learning about their bodies um, as a way to help this next generation and all other uh, men out there who need to hear this type of stuff. So, you know, we kind of kicked off the show saying thanks for sharing your gifts, but I, I want to reiterate this, how much I appreciate you sharing your gifts mm. and how much uh, work you put into it um, and how you're willing to diversify and change and be what people need as a way to provide helpful information. Um, because at Proximity, we're all about education. And right now, education is being threatened um, from various angles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, you're someone that we can go to. I know when I, when I show people a video that you do, I can trust it because I know I can go to the sources and I can see things. So um, just, you know, wrapping all the, the things together with how you just create things, how you use your gifts. I just, you know, thank you for using your gifts and for bringing them to a community that is useful for, for people. And, and we here at Proximia, um, would not be here if it weren't for the things that you've done and the struggles that you've had. So your struggles have helped us even take shape mm-hmm. too. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of round us off saying thank you for that. Um, and, and just would love to know what, uh, what maybe kind of you're thinking about or what you're doing right now. Are you taking a break? Are you thinking about new things content wise? Um, what's, you know, what's, what's kind of on your heart for, for these next few months? I took a break, had to. I was exhausted after the virtual book tour. That ended up being so much harder than I expected. Yeah. Uh, 21 stop. Um, but I did take a break, and then I've been back, and I've been very busy. It, seen, it seems quiet on the surface, but behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. Uh, we are rushing towards, in the next couple of weeks, the launch of a completely new show. Ooh. from me called the cozy robot show and that is going to be um a, a live prime time youtube program wow uh in a variety show format so we've been filming segments for that constantly wow um it'll take what i love about ask science mike the uh interaction with the audience uh being focused on what people are curious about and you know, blows it out because uh, I'm finding the at this season the culture for media is much higher. When I release things uh, or when I do a live stream, people hop on, they stay on, they'll stay on for 30 minutes, for 60 minutes. So this will be a 45 minute to 60 minute program that comes out every week. Wow. Really excited about that. Uh, and then the other thing I've been getting um, just uh, all these emails for people. You know, asking, you know, this is, you know, I really love the book, both books. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I'm in this life transition and trying to figure out, you know, how to get to the other side of it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm coming out. I'm starting a business. I'm moving to a new city. There's just life transition. Yeah. And so we're getting ready to launch as well. Um, basically, little clusters. Uh, where me and a small number of people get together and do some collaborative problem solving and think through how to go through changes and transitions together. Wow. And so we'll be announcing that probably in the next uh, 30 or 45 days. Um, and so both those things I'm really excited about because uh, the thing that was happening before the pandemic and before my health challenges is the rooms kept, have been getting bigger. 
mm-hmm. and bigger and bigger for years. And so I'd go into a room and there's like security and there's stage lights and there's mm-hmm. fifteen hundred seats and it I just I don't like it. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking advantage of COVID nineteen. Yeah. And using that to do the kind of stuff I started at, which is smaller, yeah. which is face to face, which is more intimate. And I've been trying to take my work back that way. And so my goal is to have a show where uh, I get on YouTube and I talk to you in your home. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the opportunity to get other small groups of people and, and work through life challenges together. And um, that's the kind of that's kind of work I'm in. Neither of those show, neither of those projects mention science Mike at all. You're right. I have been yeah. more in a Mike McCarg zone lately, but it's because science is a piece of what I do. It's not all of what I do. I do think an evidence-based relationship with facts and with reality is essential. But the Amen. other piece, the, uh, the, a focus on emotions and feelings and emotional awareness, the Science Mike brand just doesn't cover that. So that's why we're kind of pivoting and trying something new. Yeah. Well, from what I hear from you, it's it's uh, providing people uh, with inspiration, with education, with connection, mm-hmm. with all of those things. Uh, that's all. That's what we're all about at Proximia. Uh, so I imagine we're going to have interest groups that are going to be pods that will watch your YouTube video and then talk about it. And then we'll mm. bring that back to us and we'll encourage them how to take what they're learning or what they're inspired and give that to other people. So um, I'm so excited that you're going to be creating this stuff. I see uh, us utilizing that and us just cheering you on and being fans mm. of what you're doing. Um, so we're looking forward to uh, seeing all that. And uh, I appreciate you taking some time to sit with me today and just chat with me about your book and, and about the brain stuff. Um, I tend to just when I get uh, someone in front of me, I just have all of these questions. So I, I, I appreciate you just rolling with me uh, and going through all the questions and sharing your wisdom and insight. Um, I think most people know where they can follow you on all of the the socials and things like that. Do you have anything new that you, uh, are these new places going to have stuff, anything new that people can kind of join onto right now so they can not miss when things launch or should they just make sure to follow you on all the regular yeah, stuff right now? Follow me anywhere, you'll find it. Yeah. Uh, just the easiest way to find me is mikemccarg.com. No one can spell McCarg, don't worry. <laughs> it's mch argue as in we're going to argue about whether or not you should subscribe to my youtube channel which uh i'm gonna win that argument and just say you should (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say you should well mike you've been so generous with your time thank you so much it was good to chat with you. you pleasure to be here All right, friends, there you have it. Thanks to Science Mike for really being an awesome guest and just rolling with this fact that we're uh, a new organization. He thought he was doing whiskey and rye, talked about this other organization, talked about the brain, really just rolled with us. So thanks, Mike. Make sure to pick up his book. And, you know, like I said, uh, if you know people that might benefit from this, grab some friends, read it together, read it in community. Um, If you're a parent and you have a kid who's going through some challenging times, you know, read this book together. Mike is really great with language. Uh, Words mean a lot to him. Him. So uh, I trust him in that. And so I would encourage you to uh, to use his language, borrow from his verbiage, and really just learn from him because he's someone who wants to teach us uh, about our brains and about how we are all miracles 
it kind of pains in the ass too. So make sure you check out his book. Uh, if you want to learn more about Proximia, find us on Instagram, Proximia LA, P-R-O-X-E-M-I-A-L-A. Uh, and you can also sign up for our email list. If you go to Proximia.org, uh, you can sign up and we'll get you all uh, plugged in for that. We would love to have you part of our network that we're building of people who just want to meet other people and do really awesome stuff and build something together. So we would love for you to be a part of that. Thank you so much to the Deep West for providing the great music as always uh check out the show notes leave me a comment if you have a question obviously and as always five star reviews and uh good comments on itunes help us out so thank you so much for supporting us tangibly in that way all right let's uh let's get on with the rest of it let's have the deep west take us out and raise our glass to you cheers cheers